You're listening to Under the Shell Podcast, the best in America. Welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Testudo Times. I'm Brendan Weissel. I'm Jane. Michael House. We're two weeks into season four, but before we recap sports, look into the Iowa game, go into the interview. This week, we are joined by Colleen Carrion, Director of Sports Nutrition at the University of Maryland. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to kind of get us started, I know most people see the athletes on the court, on the field, but a lot of food goes into it. Kind of tell us how you got started, how you got hired here at the University of Maryland. Yeah, so um, I guess my journey in sports nutrition started when I was younger. Um, I was a gymnast growing up, so um, definitely there was a little bit of nutrition education and just talks around nutrition um, in the gymnastics environment. And then when I started pursuing um, like career choices, I realized I was either considering nutrition or meteorology, which are two very different things. Um, then I went to Cornell and I took intro classes in both and found that I really enjoyed the intro to nutrition class and also learned that there was um, like a sports nutrition opportunity at Cornell to take as you kind of get through the curriculum a little bit more. Um, so as I you know, moved through the major, took that class. Um, I did a project with my own gymnastics team at Cornell um, where I basically had to do an assessment on a specific nutrition topic. And um, during that time, I just learned that there was a lack of like knowledge and awareness of kind of the relationship between nutrition and athletic performance. Um, so that really piqued my interest into knowing, okay, sports nutrition is um, kind of the direction I want to take my career. So at that point I was, um, a junior. And then during my senior year, I did an independent study working with, um, football, ice hockey, and lacrosse at Cornell, um, under one of my professors and just trying to do some nutrition education. Um, and I was applying for an internship because as a dietitian, you need to complete a dietetic internship, which consists of, um, like a clinical rotation, community, food service, and then like an elective. Um, so I applied to the University of Florida, which had a sports nutrition focus where I could do my master's and the internship combined. And I did the program where I worked for a full year in the sports nutrition department as a graduate assistant. Um, and that counted as my sports nutrition rotation. And then my following year, um, I completed my master's courses and I did the other three rotations that were required for the internship. So um, while I was at Florida, again, I was like fully immersed in what sports nutrition was in the collegiate setting. Um, I worked with a lot with football um, and then with other sports as well and learned under two great dietitians, um, you know, how to build a program with education, counseling and fueling. Um, and then from there, I, you know, finished in two years, I got my master's, I was eligible to sit for um, the registered dietitian exam. So took that became a registered dietitian, and then started looking for job opportunities. Um, first, I landed at St. John's University, which was um, an interesting role. I was employed through the dining services. Um, however, I work for dining, student wellness, and athletics there. So I had about one to two days a week um, working with St. John's University athletes. Um, you know, I did some training table stuff for their men's basketball team. I did a lot of education, um, individual consults. Um, and then about two years after that, a position here at the University of Maryland opened up. And I had actually um, been in contact with, at the time, Daryl Conway who was our director of sports med uh, a few years prior. And so when the position opened and he was kind of the one doing some of the hiring, um, he had reached out and said, are you still interested in Maryland? Uh, so I applied to that position. I ended up here um, 11 years ago now. Um, at the time, it was just me, a computer, an office. Um, and since then, I... Um, we have built the program. So we now have seven dietitians that um, work through us. We have three over at football and four on the Olympic sports side. Um, and we have just kind of 
run the program as it relates to nutrition, education, counseling, and fueling. What does your budget start? What was your budget when you first got to Maryland, like yearly? And then what is it now? Like how much do you have in terms of department funding and, and what you can give out to your to your like team? Yeah. So um, when I got here, actually, I didn't have a specific budget. Um, we had a contract through Gatorade and Muscle Milk at the time, which were separate entities. Um, and that contract was through our like athletic department. It was actually part of a broader Pepsi contract with the university. Um, so we were able to order mostly just like Gatorade protein bars, muscle milk recovery shakes for our athletes. Um, and I don't even recall what that total amount was, maybe like $75,000. Um, and then as we started growing as, um, you know, a sports nutrition department and some of the rules within college athletics changed to allowing more, you know, fruits, nuts, and bagels was the first time we could do snacks. And then they started like unlimited snacks. Um, that kind of progressed to um, an increasing budget size. And I was able to start providing more food. Um, you know, our budget is probably like 300000 for Olympic sports side. Um, and then football has their own separate budget. Um, and our Gatorade muscle milk allotment um, has increased significantly so that we can service um all of our student athletes from our fueling station perspective, as well as provide each team their own um, small allotment money for purchasing like Gatorade for travel or their locker room um, or things like that. You said that football has a separate budget. Do you know what that is? Uh, I don't actually have the numbers off the top of my head. Um, like I said, Lauren, um, Lauren Antle is the director of football nut nutrition. Um, so she manages the budget, their snacks, um, kind of like the same thing that I do over here on the Olympic side, um, but with football. And before you were in charge of football, like 11 years ago when you first got hired, you had football too and like all the Olympic sports, just to clarify. I did. So when I first got hired, I worked football, Olympic sports for probably about four years. Um, and then we were able to bring on an intern who was also a dietitian um, and she helped me with football as well as some of the olympic sports and that really um just showed the value of having additional staff members and that's when we started um we hired full-time for football and they also worked track and soccer um and then over time as like the demands of football increased um, we hired a full-time just to work only football um, and then again, as that has continued to increase over time, we now have two other um, dietitians that work over at football. So we're recording this on a Monday. Can you kind of describe to the listeners what your responsi responsibilities were today, kind of how you work with teams? Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, every day is super different. Uh, and I mentioned a little bit earlier um, the three main pillars of our program are nutrition education, nutrition counseling, and then fueling. We also have a lot of administrative tasks that we need to manage. Um, so every day kind of encompasses a little bit of each one of those um, in some capacity. Um, Mondays are usually pretty heavy in just administrative, um, you know, making sure that our meals for um, like our wrestling are set for this weekend, pre-match, post-match, making sure men's lacrosse pre-game meal is good to go. Um, if gymnastics has a meet, making sure that the menu selections are ready for the girls to select which options they're going to choose for their post-meet match. Um, I have performance meetings on Monday. So typically um, while I oversee the whole department, my main team responsibilities are um, field hockey, gymnastics, wrestling, and men's lacrosse. So um, I have a wrestling staff meeting to just kind of go through, you know, what does this week look like in terms of all areas as it relates to academics, compliance, nutrition, athletic training, strength and conditioning. Um, I also have a gymnastics performance meeting today. Um, I was, you know, ordering some supplies for events that we have later this week. Uh, we have a catering event every Wednesday at our fueling station. So I was making sure that that order was um, placed and ready for delivery. Um, 
I was receiving some product that we had delivered for our fueling stations. I have um, a couple initial um, nutrition consults with some incoming athletes this afternoon. I will also talk to our field hockey team about a new meal delivery service program that we will have. Um, tomorrow, for example, I ha- I'm meeting an athlete at, athlete at the dining hall. Um, you know, so we teach a class on Wednesdays. So there's like every day is super different. Um, but it does usually encompass some, you know, nutrition education education, counseling, um, fueling, administrative work. How do you go about kind of creating these personalized meal plans for each different team? Because I would think the wrestling team is going to be having different meals and say the golf team. Um, yeah, so we don't necessarily do like individualized meal plans. Um, but when we do travel meals, so all teams really want to have like the same types of food. When we talk about like a pregame meal, we're usually looking at high carbohydrate, moderate protein, low fat and fiber. Um, We want them to have the meal about three to four hours prior to that. So it's about making sure that there's options that meet those nutritional needs. Then also making sure that there's options that that team likes um, and just working with these teams for so long um, and, you know, working in collaboration with the coaches, the director of ops, the athletic trainer, we can kind of get a gauge on like, what does that team like to eat? What are they not going to eat? How do we adjust the menus to make sure that the options provided are something that they're going to eat, but also fit um, that nutritional, you know, recommendations that we want them to have to fuel optimally. Um, So, I mean, again, it's kind of all of the same general guidelines when we look at pregame meals, but more looking at preferences um, of the team. And then like for our men's lacrosse team, making sure that we have enough food, right? We want to make sure like those guys tend to eat more than our gymnasts. So making sure that the restaurant that we're working with understands portion sizes for those athletes and that we're not running out of food, um, all of those little things. You know, when teams are in Maryland and, you know, at their home base is kind of much be much easier for them to get food. But what kind of goes into travel and ensuring that, you know, all the athletes are getting the food they need when they're away from home? Yeah. So uh, when it comes to travel, we work heavily with our director of ops. Um, you know, I work with the same director of ops who oversees wrestling and field hockey and men's lacrosse. So we have a really good relationship. We're um, just making sure that we're communicating. She is really good about getting um, the travel schedule set in advance. She typically will pick the restaurants, um, send that to me, and then I will go through the restaurants and make sure I'm selecting options again that kind of meet the needs of our athletes. Or if it's a hotel, they'll send her the catering menu. I'll kind of look through that, make sure that I'm um, you know, picking the options that would work best. Sometimes it's a back and forth, you know, we communicate all the time. We have a Google doc that kind of lays everything out. We comment back and forth to each other. Sometimes we need to change options based on price. Sometimes, you know, a restaurant ends up last minute saying they can't do it. So we're looking for something else. Um, but I think it is just, you know, constant communication with that director of ops, making sure that we're, um, you know, preparing, at least a week, two weeks in advance as to what's coming down the line, where we need to get menus set from. She does the direct communication with the restaurants. Um, And then we also do snack bags for a lot of our teams. So if teams are traveling, I will place an order for different snacks. And then the athletes have the opportunity to kind of build their own snack bag so that they have um, access to food, you know, while they're on the plane or wherever, however they might be traveling. Um, And then sometimes we'll even do like an Instacart delivery to the hotel to make sure that, you know, if they have a long gap between like their breakfast and their pregame meal, do we have like peanut butter and jelly supplies or snacks that can kind of hold them over um, and make sure that they're getting sufficient fuel um, while on the road as well. What's the biggest like snafu or like crazy story problem that you guys had where like, you know, everything went to everything went to shit basically um, during a game or a post game or whatever. Is there any story like that that you have? Um, fortunately, not off the top of my head. Um, in terms of travel, I will say one of the we had a huge challenge a couple of years ago though. Um, it was men's lacrosse 
I think it might have been like the Big Ten tournament or whatever was hosted at Penn State. And Penn State's already a pretty small college town. So finding meals um, and restaurants where a team of like 50 to 60 people can eat at is really challenging. Um, And then through on top of that, it was graduation weekend there. So all the restaurants were booked. Like it was just um, trying to find a place that would like get our orders and, you know, get food for us was really hard. Um, I think we ended up being able to work through the hotel um, to get some meals arranged, but that's something that was a huge challenge. Um, I know this isn't really like game time situation, but um, we have our fueling stations. Like I mentioned, we do catering events. So we'll have like breakfast or lunches catering there. Um, or we'll do like a special event. And one time I had an acai bowl building event uh, and the company was coming from Bethesda. They brought me all of the toppings for the acai bowls, but no acai bowls. So um, again, you know, our athletes are pretty flexible and that wasn't necessarily like a crunch time. We had a game. So we just kind of delayed the event, had them come back like one to two hours after so that we could wait for the acai product. Um, but there are some times that, you know, vendors forget the order and then last minute it's like, okay, we're going to stop at a sub restaurant. Everybody go in, just get what you want and we'll pay for it at the end with the credit card. Um, you know, you just have to pivot, adjust um, on the fly. And, you know, sometimes if they're not in line with what we had planned, um, we're able to find them some type of fuel. Uh, and again, that's where kind of the snack bags and um, some of the supplements that we send, like our cherry juice or chocolate milk or recovery shakes can at least kind of help with that recovery process. What's the biggest change of opinion on a particular food or food group, like, and how you viewed it? you know, when you first started to how you view it now, like, is there anything that you've kind of been like, oh, like, you know, I started thinking this was bad and now I encourage it for athletes to eat or vice versa. Like, you know, like, eh, you guys shouldn't have. And now, and now this, or there's no sort of like change in opinion that you've gotten. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily a change in opinion on, to be honest, like I'm pretty, much like an all foods fit dietitian. I try not to label foods good or bad, just foods that you want to eat more frequently or ones that you want to choose less often. Um, And it's all about kind of the timing of certain nutrients or foods, you know, when you're choosing them, um, how much you're choosing them, how often. Um, I'll say over time, probably just the role of some different supplements. So um, for example, like research around omega-3 fatty acids, is has really like exploded in relation to um, decreasing inflammation and, and helping with brain health. Um, tart cherry juice is something that's come out um, in the last probably several years in terms of like high antioxidant capacity and decreasing inflammation for recovery. Um, nitric oxide, like beetroot powder, beetroot shots um, are a supplement that is uh, more recently known for like increasing vasodilation, helping oxygen delivery to the muscles. So I think just with there's always things changing when it comes to food, supplements, nutrition. Um, Just over time, those weren't necessarily things I didn't believe in. I just didn't know a lot about them or they were just starting to come out. And I think that's always kind of happening in this field. And now those are things that we recommend a lot for our athletes. What was it like um, during COVID when students got sent home and, you know, athletes kind of, you know, fend on their own to kind of get some of the foods and maybe they couldn't find some of the stuff that they were having here at school. So how did you kind of work through that? And was it mainly through education or what type of resources did you provide to athletes during that time? Yeah. um, So obviously that was a challenge for everybody. Um, I will say we did a lot of just education and counseling during those times. So just trying to, you know, work with athletes and teams via Zoom, really, like, here's some basic nutrition education, you know, here are some grocery shopping lists, here are some quick, easy recipes that you can do. Um, And then individual consults through Zoom, just helping athletes um, based on their own individual situation, what is their access to food like, what is the financial situation, um, and trying to just help them 
figure out how to fuel with the resources and and things that they had while at home. Uh, As we started like slowly transitioning back to campus, we did reopen our fueling station, but everything was kind of um, prepackaged for them. So now it's kind of like a concession stand, like go in, grab whatever you want off the racks. Um, At that time, we were actually like packing individual snack bags that had like one pre-workout option, one recovery option, um, one snack for any time throughout the day, and just allowing them to grab it from a bin. So um, while everyone was relocated home, it was mostly like Zoom education and counseling and less of the food service piece. Um, But as we slowly started to return to campus, um, we did kind of reintegrate some of the food service um, providing of fuel for them. The last question we have today, so we do this with every guest, we're going to do a draft um, once we record ourselves of the USDA my plate categories, fruits, grains, veggies, protein, and dairy. But we're going to ask you first, you have to pick one item for each category. How are you building your plate? Um, good question. Let me see. Um, so if I'm picking like grains, I'll probably pick like, um, a wheat type of stir fry noodle. Um, Trader Joe's has one of my favorites, um, with a shrimp as my protein veggies, probably some broccoli or snap peas, mini corn in there. Um, fruit I'd probably put on the side for, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, I like every fruit. So maybe an apple there, um, dairy, maybe I'd have a glass of milk with it. Um, and then I definitely top it with some kind of like sriracha or like soy sauce. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you, uh, hopping on, kind of giving us some insight into, you know, what the what the nutrition side of um, sports is, because obviously, you know, you guys kind of fuel, terrible pun, but fuel the results on the field. Um, And obviously Maryland fans appreciate everything you guys do. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was nutritionist Colleen M. Carrion with us. Great interview from her. I learned a lot about being a nutritionist, working with the teams, organizing their meals and everything. But we've got bigger stuff to talk about, especially the number three team in the nation just came to College Park. Probably the most polarizing women's basketball player in recent years, Caitlin Clark, came down. The Terps lost, but there was a lot of promising stuff, hopefully for Terps fans to take out of that. Sam, what did you think from that game? Yeah, I mean, obviously, just a first off, crazy environment. Um, Really cool to be able to cover that game. And, um, you know, one of the craziest probably the craziest Maryland atmosphere I've been in. Um, but on the court, I think it's important to recognize how good Caitlin Clark was, right? She dropped, you know, 37 points, seven threes, just a ridiculous display of shot making. But um, the reason Maryland lost that game was not because they couldn't stop Caitlin Clark. It was because they couldn't get a defensive rebound in the fourth quarter. Iowa absolutely bullied them on the glass in the late stretch. Part of that was because Maryland played a zone um, defense, which makes it harder to, uh, you know, play it or, or get defensive rebounds because it's less of, you know, you're more operating in space. But, I mean, at the same time, you cannot let Iowa, who ranks ninth in the Big Ten in offensive rebounding, get nine offensive rebounds in the final frame. Um, it helped Iowa drain the drain the shot clock, you know, it gave them extra possessions. And when you give the country's best offense extra possessions, you're not going to win. So I thought that was kind of the main takeaway um, for why Maryland lost. Caitlin Clark started off really hot. You're not wrong about that, Sam, but you're right. The Maryland defense in the second half looks good enough to win that game, but it really did come down to rebounds. I I think, you know, I had never seen Caitlin Clark play in person. Um, I assume you guys had from last year, but just kind of the confidence she had to hit threes was was a huge difference in, in terms of at least deafening the crowd. I mean, a couple couple times that like, Maryland started to make a run third quarter. You guys predicted it really well um, that Maryland was going to have a strong third quarter. And then Caitlin Clark would come down the court and, and hit a big three and silence the crowd. Um, you know, we had talked about going into this game, Maryland 
guys had thought, you know, really needed to win either the Iowa game or the game earlier in the week against Indiana to boost their resume, but that didn't happen. So where do they stand now? They've got a tough road ahead of them. I'll, I'll tell you that. They got a winnable game. This podcast is going to come out afterwards, tomorrow, as in Tuesday, against Rutgers. And then they have another winnable game this weekend against Illinois. So they have two games that they should win or at least are a little more favorable to the, their side. But after that, they have, ranked, um, they have ranked games against Ohio State. They have ranked games against Indiana. I believe Penn State is coming to College Park, so Maryland – Hopefully is trying to rebound after that blowout loss against Penn State away. But I think one of the glaring things I saw from the Iowa game was just the lack of depth that Maryland has now. We talked about their injuries a little bit, Riley Nelson and Machardone, but the Terps really only relied on their starters against uh, Iowa. All of them played over 30 minutes. Um, I think that might have played into the defensive rebounding struggles in that fourth quarter against Iowa just ran out of gas there. Faith Masonis was the only player off the bench to play more than 10 minutes. Emily Fisher logged, I believe, like three minutes. She barely played at all. And kind of building off of that, we've talked about how they don't have a true point guard, but you know it's bad when Faith Masonis is your backup point guard coming off the bench for you guys. They just have no depth, um, not a lot coming from the bench. Allie Quebec, she was in the starting lineup for a while since November, since that tournament in Mexico. She was substituted for Lavender Briggs in the starting lineup, which I think might bode well for the Terps in the future. Briggs can handle the ball better than Quebec. She also can create her shot way better, so kind of generating offense with that move, but they really just are lacking the depth at this point. Yeah, they already don't have size, So, and, and, and Quebec is just kind of, it looks like, you know, from the outside looking in, her her confidence is just kind of shattered. Like, she doesn't even look at the basket anymore, really. Um, she doesn't really play like a traditional big. You know, she's more of a stretch it out, kind of, um, you know, utilize the pick and roll. So if they're going to play small anyway, they might as well just add Briggs into the lineup and, and really ultra space it. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the thing about the Big Ten this year is, and we've talked about it, there's chances for quality wins everywhere. I mean, Rutgers isn't, you know, said it's a winnable game, Mike, but Rutgers just beat Nebraska, um, and Nebraska's a good team. Penn State is really good. You know, basically the only, you know, probably guarantee win is Illinois on the schedule left. And then other than that, Maryland's going to have chances to to pick up some quality wins. Um, they're right now probably on the outside looking in. Getting a win this week would have just been massive. Um, but I think that, as you look at it from, you know, from a holistic perspective, at the end of the day, you know, the Big Ten is getting better and, and Maryland's having a down year. So, um, you know, it's a tough it's a tough look for for the Terps, obviously. Um, you know, the, the reign of dominance of this conference is probably on the way out, I would I would say. I think the conference is getting better and um, it's getting harder to compete because. You know, before the season, we pegged this in the podcast is this was the stretch that Maryland would have a chance to kind of clinch the Big Ten regular season title. Right, Brendan? I mean, we talked about that, you know, and now this this stretch, a combined losses by 22 points. And, you know, you're basically just trying to clinch a tournament bid at this point. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic here. I think a natural reaction from the Iowa game is, well, if Maryland could play like this every game, then they probably win out for the rest of the season. Maybe they'd lose a game against Indiana in Ohio State. But, you know, it's not as easy as that. So do you think that's true? I mean, if Maryland can play the way they played against Iowa, they'd probably be a much better team. But it's one of those things that that's just not possible. And it's, it's very unlikely that they would do that. And I'm assuming a lot of that has to do with kind of the hype around the game and um, the sold-out crowd and just kind of the nature of bringing in a ranked opponent that's, you know, has one of the best players in the country. I have to agree with you there. It, it... I think a little bit of it was playing up to the competition of the opponent. I mean, we've seen them. They dropped the game against Nebraska, I believe. They dropped the game against Michigan, Michigan State. These are games that at the beginning of the year, you look at them and you're like, this is a game Maryland should win. So I don't think kind of agreeing with you on the Rutgers point, Sam. No game you look at other than Illinois probably you can say is a for sure winnable game. Yeah, this team, you're not in the position to to take take wins for granted, right? Like, every every game you have to you know fight like and i hate to use the like oh play with play hard because i think every game they you know teams play hard but 
Maryland has to approach every game as if its season is on the line because at this point it kind of is. Um, and I think the, the positive takeaway, we talked about kind of the negative side, the positive takeaway from these last couple weeks is Maryland, it seems like, has a secondary secondary score. Jakia Brown-Turner has really found herself. I think she's up to like 20 points um, over the last the last two weeks. Um, she was she played really, really well. And between her, Ree McDaniel, who was awesome, awesome against Iowa, guarded guarded um, Clark in the second half in that little like zone, you know, whatever it may be, and then you know throw in um, that uh, Cheyenne Sellers when she gets healthy. Um, that's a pretty good trio. The problem is, is that you know once you get past those three, the scoring gets kind of tough. Um, so I think that, that that's a that's a really good look at it and. They've cut down on the turnovers. Shy played way more in control against Iowa. So they can limit turnovers and kind of utilize their wings more like how they've been doing recently. I think that they might be in a good spot. And I still think this team is a tournament team. Um, Caitlin Clark agreed. So, you know, she she's the all-be-sayer of women's hoops, according to, according to some people. So That's true. Uh, tons of media attention. I know Mike experienced it post-game, but... Um... As we move on, you know, there's no such thing really as a, as a quality loss. And I think the women's team is experiencing that. And and so is the men's team with, uh, you know, so many close losses that, you know, at the end of the day, it's a loss and it, it doesn't really mean very much. Yeah, I think that this team, um, you know, you said close losses. It's all it, it's been a problem in the Willard era, um, you know, in one possession games. Uh, Maryland was is, was two and five um, this year and one and three last year. So it's not as if, you know, they're closing games out. But the problem is, is, is that this year, you know, when they get when they get in the crunch time, you know, against Michigan State, I wasn't able to watch the last, but I went back and watched the highlights. Their offense just they they can't get like they can't generate good looks without it relying on a Jameer Young late late contested shot. You know, like that is their offense at this point. It looked better against Nebraska, but that was because Jamie Kaiser and Jahari Long both went nuclear from three. Dante Scott is playing well recently. You have to give him his credit, but he has basically become the only consistent three-point shooting option. You know, I mean, if you look at Jahari and Kaiser, they're solid, but are you really relying on two backups to kind of be your spacing? I mean, you saw what happened against Michigan State. Neither of them shot it well. So, I mean, it's an interesting dilemma with their with their offense, and I don't really see a solution. It just seems like there's either not a lot of confidence in the guys outside of Juju, Danta, and Jameer, or they just cannot get open at all. We talked about Jahari Long last week, like you said. He only had two shots in 30 minutes the other day. DHS only had three shots in 24 minutes. Kaiser had a big game. Now he only had one shot the entire game. It just seems like there's not a lot of offense being generated, like you said, and keep circling back to it, but it seems like a testament to how Willard kind of approached the offseason, kind of losing Hakeem Hard, who would have been one of the top scorers this year, can shoot the ball really well, something that they're missing, and instead substituted it with Jordan Geronimo, who can play defense well, but can't really get you anything outside of the paint on offense. I know you guys probably didn't get a chance to watch too much of the game, like you said, but uh, I got to watch a good bit and um, got to comb through some of the stats, right? Jameer Young, 31 points. Uh, Donta Scott, 13. Accounted for 81% of the team scoring. I mean, and, and Jameer Young had majority of that percentage. And when you're relying on one or two players to do the majority of your scoring, you're just not going to win games. In the Nebraska game, Jameer Young didn't have a great game, but yeah, right. everybody else played incredible. And so that offensive consistency just doesn't exist. And, you know, I think the big thing we're seeing with this team, and been all years when Julian Reese is not on and not able to score then this team is pretty much has, has no real offensive option I mean Jameer Young is obviously the main person but when there's no secondary big man to score this team really fails yeah the foul trouble was Cal Callum Swan and Rogers man they not not necessarily what they want um I think he was like minus 11 and and plus minus is a flawed stat, but that kind of tells you a lot. If you're minus eleven in like six minutes of action, 
Yeah, you're right. He played seven minutes. Not necessarily the best look. Um, they don't have a quality backup big man. And if Reese goes in foul trouble, then the best option is putting Geronimo at center. And then you, who are you putting in there to re, I mean, Kaiser, that's kind of probably, you got to move Dante, Dante back to the four. Um, but I think you made a great point, Brendan, about Jameer and, and in losses. This is from, you know, our great friends at Testudo Times. Um, you know, Jameer in, in the Terps, um, five most recent losses. He's averaging around 27 points a game. The team has averaged 59 points in those games, which means basically 50% of the scoring in Maryland's losses have been Jameer Young. That is in, it's absurd. That I would guarantee, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but I would bet a large amount of money that Maryland is probably one of only a few teams that one player is making up 50% of your scoring. Juju Watkins at USC is probably the only other one that I know. Um, but that cannot be an offensive game plan because this defense is good. Like, I think that's like, we know the defense is good. They're like eighth and Ken Bomb on defensive adjusted efficiency. They have the bodies to play a solid defensive game plan. But at the end of the day, you cannot be scoring in the 50s in college basketball and win, especially in like Willard's system. He likes to kind of, you know, you know, play, you know, play fast, that type of thing. Sometimes he's had to kind of change it this year, but you know, at any, at any point of basketball, you're probably not winning when one player scoring 50% of your points. Especially, Where do you think this team is right now? If they have Ian Martinez and Hakeem Hart. One eighth in the country. Because yeah. think about how much offense they get. We know they have a top 10 defense in the country. And, you know, if you think about the scoring they would add, those two players aren't going to make the defense. They might make it slightly worse. You know, Jordan Geronimo might be a better defender, but I think we can agree that those two players are are good defensively and they're not going to retract the defensive rating that much. So even if they're 15th or 20th in defense, you know, the offensive rating is probably getting within definitely under the 100s. And I think that this team is scoring more than 54 points a game. You know, if you look at the Michigan State game and you saw, oh, Maryland held Michigan State to 63, that's probably a win most against most teams, right? Michigan State, you know, that that would, that would look good generally, but if you're not scoring, there's nothing you can do. So yeah, Mike, I, I think if Maryland had those two players, they're a ranked basketball team. And I, do you guys disagree with that? I, I think they're probably ranked. I mean, you know, I am the biggest Hakeem Park stand out there. He would be this team's second best player, just like he was last year. And he is exactly what they need. Think about Maryland's biggest issues, right? Three-point shooting from the wing. Check. Secondary ball handling, check. Defensive wing, check. Perimeter spacing and knows how to cut and play in Willard's system, check. He hits every box that they need. And that, I bet you, Kakeem Hart at this point of the season is probably worth two wins on his own. And he's not that caliber of player, but he just fits like a glove into what Maryland needs so perfectly that I, I don't know about ranked, but they would be in the tournament picture. And I mean... At the end of the day, this is the second to worst offense in the Big Ten and the best defense. I mean, and Ian Martinez right now is Utah State's second leading scorer. He's shooting forty-two percent from three. Like Ian Martinez, Ian Martinez would have been, you know, perfect bench. You know, you put you bring in him and Jahari Long to kind of fill in the backcourt. It'd be perfect. You wouldn't have to rely on DHS as much. He could kind of play a more limited role. It, the the two losses in the offseason, I think we actually did a pretty good job about talking about it. Some of us may have, may have underestimated Hakeem Hart's loss. I was not one of those. But I do think that we all recognized before the season that it was probably going to be a bit of a struggle maybe losing those two. But now it's even exab- um, like you know brought to light even more. I think we look at a similar thing to the women's team. You know, how many guaranteed wins does this team have left on its schedule? Because of the, you know, how good the defense has been, it gives Maryland a chance to win in every game. Um, There's been very few games, I think, where you could go into the game and think this is absolutely a game that Maryland cannot win. So I think you can have a little bit of confidence if you're a fan to say, well, Maryland may be competitive in this game just because they're going to probably hold the team to a amount of points that, most college basketball teams can score. But if you look ahead to, you know, games that you think this team is guaranteed to win, what do you see? Are there any? 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know if you can chalk, chalk up any sort of like competitive win, um, on the schedule. I mean, I think Rutgers at home, the next game, you know, probably, um, probably a win, but this four game stretch guys, I don't want to say they got to go four and but they might have to go four and What do you think? So that's Rutgers, Ohio State, Iowa, Illinois. Two, three of them at home. Ohio State's the only road game. Yeah, if I don't, wanna... I don't disagree with you there. If they, if, if Maryland wants to make the tournament, I yeah. think they have to. But the other thing in the Big Ten that that's you know very odd right now is Maryland's still very in contention for the double buy. The rest you know? of the Big Ten sucks between the so between. Between spots six and the third to last spot in the Big Ten, it's separated by one game. It's six and five and five and six. So Maryland hey, top four get the double bye, right? Yeah. So the fourth best team right now is six and five. Wait, who's the so it's I know it's Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, and then who's so the yeah, on Monday we're recording this. It's Purdue at ten and two, Illinois at eight and three, Wisconsin at eight and three, Northwestern, Michigan State, and Nebraska. Uh, have six wins, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, and Maryland have five wins, and also Penn State. And then Rutgers, Ohio State, and Michigan have three or less. Everyone has chances to make up. I mean, they play Northwestern at home, Indiana at home, you know, Illinois at home. They got chances to kind of make up some ground. But, Mike, I think me and Brendan think 4-0. Do you think 4-0 is necessary? Probably is necessary. I mean, we look they- at their schedule, they got – Penn State away as their last game. We all remember how that ended last year for them. And this is a team that we've seen drop games. They've only got two ranked games left on their schedule, but any one of these, like you said, the Big Ten is very like competitive this year. It's not that good. So I can see them losing any one of these games left. Real quick. I mean, Iowa, Iowa comes February 14th. Maryland played them close away. I can see that game flipping towards Iowa when they come to College Park. Like games like that, it's like a toss-up. Like it can go either way. All right, real quick, what do you guys think Maryland's defensive points allowed per game? Would like this is the best season since when? What would what would you get? Yes, nineteen eighty-four. Really good guess. Not nineteen eighty-four, but close. Nineteen eighty-six. No. So they tied in 2014. They both allowed 63.4 currently as we stand. But beyond that, the next closest ranking was in 1981 when they gave up 58 points a game. Now, on the other hand... You have to you... understand that's also a completely different style of basketball. You no, know, I... I, I <laughs> yeah. yeah, like 58 points, that is like... Uh, yeah, that's... that's Yeah. That's, it's way different. Now, flip it around. What would you guys say that they're... You know, what do you think this is on on offense? What do we what do we think is as points scored? What do we think that that the, the next closest is? Seventy five. Well, nineteen eighty. What are they averaging? They're averaging sixty nine and a half. But I bet you a lot of that is boosted by their non conference games. Um, the next closest season would have been twenty fourteen when they scored uh, sixty nine points a game. Um, but they they had a, that was the year they kind of. Similar season, except they I, they won a ton of close games. I mean, they finished twenty eight and seven, um, but you know, it's a it's a very interesting thing to look at. Uh, I wish that Basketball Reference had three point percentage because then I would I would have loved to have seen uh, what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, and numbers don't always tell the full story. Like you said, in the twenty fourteen twenty fifteen season, Maryland had. Similar offensive numbers, but closing out games is big. And I know don't need to get into this whole debate now, but a big critique of um, the former Maryland head coach, Mark Turgeon, was the inability to win close games and have competence um, in, in doing so. So um, is that a Maryland thing? Is it so, you know, it's it's hard to know. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this team, they, they're going to have to fight for their tournament lives. So we got two bubble teams, which makes it easier content for us. So uh, we will gladly take it here at Under the Shell. Um, but at moving off kind of the two the two bubble teams and, and maybe into a, you know, finally some some good some good sporting in uh, in College Park. We got 
the the men's and women's lacrosse team men's team already started brendan what did you see there yeah so i mean from two bubble teams to two national championship contenders i don't think that's uh unfair to say when you're talking about maryland lacrosse so the women's team will start this weekend um, playing the same team that they did first last year st joseph's last year they won 15 to 5 um played very well in that game early season kind of get the Let's go and get a bunch of people in the game, get some freshmen acclimated to college play, you know, only kind of played in those scrimmage and then some of those fall games. So I'm expecting a, a similar result in 2024, maybe not quite as big of a win, but I would project a similar thing. And then um, for both teams after the first game, the schedules get tough, but we'll get to those next week after we um, recap the both games. Um, the men's team already played a game, Richmond, they went down to Richmond, Virginia, Went into overtime, went into another overtime, and Maryland got the win 12-11, which moves Maryland into 95-3-1 all-time in season openers. Anybody want to guess how many season openers Maryland has won in a row in lacrosse? 20. All right. Decent guess. Mike, what do you got? 19. All right. 31. So, losing to, to... you know, Richmond in the first game of the season would have been a bit of a shock to the program, but they get the win. Richmond's 19th in the country. Uh, a game last year, Maryland, same thing. Face off against Richmond, first game of the year. That game was in College Park in Maryland. Won pretty handily, but um, the game on Saturday is a huge rematch game for Maryland. Um, playing against Loyola, Maryland, um, a team they lost to last year and kind of where the season all began to go off the tracks. I mean, Maryland at the end of the day still had a rather successful season last year, but the seven to twelve loss is something that Maryland is definitely looking to revenge this weekend. Uh, it's the game last year where Logan McNady got injured. He's now back, the star goalkeeper from the undefeated season, and so you know that's the big story. I think if this lacrosse season is how how good have, would have Maryland been last year if they'd had him? You know they had. Some goalkeepers, you know, make some incredible saves. I know the one from Virginia always gets a lot of attention, but having that incredible goalkeeper back in net for Maryland um, should make a big difference, but um, we'll have to see going forward, and it starts on Saturday. I got a question for you. How big, I mean, obviously the biggest loss is, and correct me, of Brett Mocker. Um, He's obviously, you know, I think he went, what, third overall in the draft or something, and wore the number one, and you know, he was really good, but um, I know they lost Kyle Long too, and then Dante Trader um, is done with lacrosse, and they're they're both midfielders. You know, is that going to be a problem all year? Is kind of that mid to to back line because I know they're bringing back a lot of a lot of really good, um, you know, offensive offensive players. Um, you know, Brandon Braden Irksa. Uh, you know, they're bringing back the, the the kid who suffered the leg injury last year. So I think the offense will be fine. But how worried are you about the defense? I would say going into the season, I, I wouldn't have been ridiculously worried about it. Um, but after watching the Richmond game and giving up uh, 11 goals, a little bit more concerned. But, you know, Maryland routinely is going to have people, you know, probably didn't play much the next year. And, you know, you see them play a, a lot more minutes in the coming year just because of the way the program works and recruiting and, you know, really develops guys through the system. So I think we'll have to kind of see what happens in the season. But did Loyola-Maryland game is probably the game that everybody was on the team last year or even wasn't on the team last year circled because that was the game last year where Maryland took a huge loss and their season, it wasn't over at that point. They still had many good wins and um, made the tournament, but uh, definitely a point now that everybody's looking for on the team to to have to win that game. Plus, it's not like their birth of talent on defense. I mean, Ajax Zapatello is like, he's wearing the number one. And and as you said, McNanny, is coming back. I'm sure it'll take him a little bit of time. So um, they'll be all right, I think. They usually are. They tend to be. Mar- uh, Maryland lacrosse is uh, a fun team to talk about and fun team to cover um, just because star talent and routinely, at least in the past, historically, very good programs. But, you know, under the shell, we like to see what's happening in the future. And so that's, that's what really matters. Um, if you've listened to this episode, you made it this far. You know that we did a pretty Fun draft, uh, nutrition-based for those who are just picking up now. Mike, remind remind everybody what the draft is this week. 
So the USDA has a my plate, which kind of shows what you're supposed to eat at a regular sitting. So it's supposed to be grains, veggies, fruits, protein, then a little bit of dairy. So we're going to do our snake draft this week on that plate. So everybody's going to pick one fruit, one vegetable, one grain, one protein, and one dairy. And those can come in any form. So if you want to pick ice cream as your dairy, go ahead. If you want to pick some crazy type of meat for your protein, go ahead. It's, it's up to you guys. Um, who wants to go this? first? Are we doing this like as we're athletes or are we doing like just my favorite types of food? I was trying to go favorite types of food. I had some good stuff in here. I can rock with that. I can rock. Pauline right. did a thing that I hadn't thought of where she, she made a meal. You know, I wonder how uh -huh. the I wonder how the listeners will take that into consideration with their vote. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think <laughs> I like the same thing. That might be the play. My uh, plate is just going to be a hodgepodge of stuff. I'm not going to lie. I can get us started because um, I won in the Twitter poll last week of the movie drafts. I yet again moved to 1-0. and Um. My reign of dominance continues. I will take um, with my, are we just doing, are we picking all at once or is this a, the full draft? Snake draft. Okay. All right. Number one pick. I am going to go with steak as my protein. I think a, a nice, good steak um, makes it, makes an elite plate. All right. I guess for my pick, I'm going to stay with protein. We're in the state of Maryland. I'm going to take crabs. I love crabs. Very strong pick, Mike. Uh, in the in the theme of protein, I don't know. Um, I think it's a classic, but I'm just going to go chicken. Like, can't go wrong. You get it in the dining hall. I know how to make it myself. You know, it's a it's a good pick. And some of those other uh, proteins, I haven't really learned how to make yet. So, uh, in terms of my plate, I'll go with that. Uh, dairy free. Brennan is gluten. -free. I am gluten free. Yeah. Thank you for uh, noting that to the, to the listener. So they will maybe have a bit of context. Uh, dairy. I'm going to go with, uh, Nesquik chocolate milk, all time. Good drink. The strong pick. I'm going to go with cookies and cream ice cream for dairy. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the thing that Mike I know Mike wanted wants mac mac and cheese I'm gonna go as my as my uh my fiber I guess I will well should I do it for dairy or do you guys think it works for grains pick either or there's no way mac and cheese is grains <laughs> is it oh it's pasta I guess yeah I, yeah I'll I'll put it for dairy that seems fair um with grains I'm or actually vegetables. You know, Colleen took steamed broccoli. I'm going to go with, hmm. no, I like a nice vegetable stir fry. That sounds good to me. Let me get a vegetable stir fry, you know, put some soy sauce in there. I'll go with that. I'm going to stay with vegetables with you. I'm going to take a sweet potato casserole, you know, when they got the marshmallows on top. Bro, that is not a vegetable. <laughs> get the hell out Bro, you were thinking about mac and cheese and grain, like there's dairy. But I that. did it too. But okay. mac and cheese and grain, bro. Sweet potatoes. I'll take a sweet potatoes either way. Sweet potatoes are delicious. <laughs> Brendan, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but I think Sam just picked every vegetable. I don't know that just worked. I'm not sure he got away with that. Uh, for vegetable that he probably didn't take, would probably wouldn't be in his uh, hodgepodge. Would be an avocado, very versatile, can make guacamole, but can also you know have it on a, as, as a side. So. Like that for ve vegetable. Then for fruit, you know, I hope people aren't imagining mine as on a plate because this would be a very odd combination. But my all-time favorite fruit is pineapple. So I will go that. I don't think it goes with guacamole, though. Uh, you can debate in the comments. You stole my pick. Pineapple was next. Um, I'm going to have to adjust my board a little bit. I'm going to take my second favorite fruit. I'm going to take raspberries. Uh, that's a great pick. Raspberries. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to stick on the fruit train and I'm going to go with the banana, like banana. And then to finish it out with fiber, hmm, like my grain. What is a good grain? Grains are hard, man. I'm going to go, let me do mac. let me do mashed potatoes. I like mashed potatoes. So that'll be my, that'll be my. So I, I think potato is a vegetable now. It's a starch. It's a starch. All right. Um, I got. I grain, guess we'll give uh, it to you. We should have done this with, yeah. with Colleen. She could have told us what's right, what's uh, right and wrong. Um, this is tough. 
Um, but I'm going to be taking my talents to oatmeal raisin bread. All right, I'll round us out with a pretty traditional pick for someone like me. I'll go quinoa. Yeah, I had I had to do something a bit silly, and so I will do that. This kind of like this shows everybody's diets. As I would, Mike is just a like hodgepodge of random deliciousness, sweets, the whole thing. I like to kind of keep it, you know, you know. I like trying different stuff, and and I'll I'll go with whatever. And then Brendan just has all the the modern food: avocado, quinoa. You know, he's probably making some sort of lemon chicken, that type of <laughs> Exactly. Now, if we were to do this differently and you could have like your own meal, you make it from scratch, what would that meal consist of? I'll go first. I'd probably have Mike just wanted to steak, say this, I think. <laughs> a little bit of steak, lobster tail, some mac and cheese, <laughs> mashed potatoes. Like we're feasting if we're getting my own yeah. meal. Mike's indulging in everything. Um, Loser of this draft has to buy the other people that do yeah, it. Yeah, buy a drip. <laughs> buy a drip. Uh, so I will, um, I will, I will not be sharing my mind. You can just rely on my plate. Uh, I like that as a day to day meal. But um, we had a great time bringing on Colleen. Um, got to talk with her about you know everything nutrition wise, everything that goes in behind um, you know the sports and everything like that. And it was a great interview and a great way to wrap up under the shell is. Perfect chirp. So, Brandon, take it away. Finish us off. All right. Let's do it. Uh, this is a name I think people may have heard before, but um, don't know an interesting quirk, but maybe you do. I'll, I'll give it to you. This terrific chirp was a successful player at Maryland, but an unsuccessful coach at Maryland. Before Robert Bob Ward arrived at UMD, he had already served in World War II in the Army and in the Air Force. Ward was Maryland's first All-American in football in 1950 when he played middle guard on defense. Ward played on the other side of the ball on offensive line, but was much more well-known for his defensive play. In the very next year, in 1952, he earned the same All-American honor and helped lead the Terps to a 10-0 season and a Sugar Bowl victory. He won the Maryland football team award of MVP every season he was on the team. You know, the game football today doesn't quite have the athletes or vice versa the game of old doesn't quite have the athletes it has now but Ward at five foot nine and 187 pounds on the defense and offensive line didn't stop him definitely undersized but very determined player in college on the defensive side he was named captain of the college all-star team which went to go play against the professional Los Angeles Rams where the college team lost in a competitive 10 to 7 game Despite being drafted into the NFL, he turned the opportunity down. Instead of going to the NFL, he served as an assistant coach at the University of Maryland from 1952 to 1957, which, as Maryland fans will know, included the famous 1953 championship season. After that, he went on to become an assistant at Oklahoma, then Iowa State, and then Army before he finally got his first head coaching job at Maryland in 1967. However, Ward only lasted two seasons, where he had a 2-17 and 17 record and he winless in his first season in 1967. The issue with Ward's coaching style is he expected everyone to work as hard as he did, which meant some people on the team left. He was critical of his team in the Sports Illustrated interview where he said the guys who left couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. Ralph Friedgen was one of the members of that team and he decided to stick around when his teammates left and as many know, he would later become a head coach at the University of Maryland. Controversy surrounded Ward's exit, but that didn't stop him from becoming a member of the College Football Hall of Fame and the University of Maryland Hall of Fame. After he coached at Maryland and left out of those two seasons, he was in coached in the CFL, and then he returned back to Maryland, not in College Park, not in the football team, but Annapolis, where he started a liquor store that he operated for twenty around 20 years. Ward died in 2005 and was buried in the Arlington National Cemetery. Some have said Ward is the best football player ever, pound for pound. While we don't know that for sure, we do know he is season four, episode two, Terrific Turp. If his liquor store was still around today, I wonder if it would be carrying uh, Walt the Wizard Williams vodka he promoted on this show just a couple of months ago. That would have been epic. Um, but. What a what a what a hero! Obviously, anybody buried in Arlington is a is a pretty special individual. So, thank you for finding that story, Brandon. And thank you all for listening. If you made it through all of our ranting and rambling, 
Um, we appreciate you listening to Under the Shell. You can find us on socials at Under the Cell, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it may be. Uh, next week, we'll be having a very big episode, baseball preview on the way, March Madness right around the corner, and a very cool interview coming too. So be sure to tune in. And for, for the rest of the day, enjoy the traffic, enjoy the weather. Have a nice one. Guess what? You've got Under the Shell podcast. Nobody does it better.